Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I'm sex educator and sexual communication coach, Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Today we'll meet Maya, a 30-year-old cisgender female who describes herself as mixed race, black and white, heteroflexible, married, monogamous with the possibility of some monogamous play, and she has a young daughter. She was born in the Sudan and came to the United States at age six. She was brought up Muslim and describes her body as tall and thick. Maya shares the frustrations she's had around religion and how it affected her sexuality, the way she used sex in her early life to fill an emotional void, and the pleasure she finally found with her husband. I'm so pleased to introduce Maya. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, we've gotten to know each other a little bit online, but I, I only know tiny bits of your story. So I'm so excited to talk to you and have this in-depth conversation. Thank you for doing this. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm actually really grateful to um, have been invited to be on your podcast because I absolutely love it. And I think you're an amazing human being. Oh, thank you. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning as we do with every one of these conversations. What is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Uh, you know, I don't remember an exact instant, but I do remember as a little kid, like elementary school being perverted. That's like, <laughs> like how my friends and I would describe it. Like we would, um, we would like make up songs about like balls and vagina and like, like sex and stuff like that as like an elementary school year old kid. Yeah. Um, but like pleasure, I really couldn't like date back. I do remember in I guess I was in elementary school, maybe middle school. I had a friend who, I don't know how much detail to go That's into. That's fine. But go she, into all the detail. <laughs> so I had a friend who was like into witchcraft and she like called herself a witch. And she said that we needed to like uh, get the devil out of us. So stop like masturbating because you masturbate. Right. And I was like, yeah, maybe. And I was like really caught off guard with the question. Um, Were you masturbating and you didn't want to say it or you weren't and didn't know what it was? I'm pretty sure I didn't know what it was, but I was like touching myself and I was like, oh, that's what I'm, I'm masturbating. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but I didn't know what I was doing when I was like touching myself. Mm-hmm. Sure. So she says you have to get the devil out of you because you masturbate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what did she do? Um, not, this is any relevant um, <laughs> story, but I had a friend who swore she was like being possessed by the devil. And so I went to my friend who said she was like Wiccan or whatever. And like li- we we're little kids. My friend was not possessed by the devil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but my friend was like, yeah, like you have this girl around you because you, you are, you have like all these like whatever negative energies you need to get rid of it. So all the bad things that you're doing, you need to stop, including like you masturbate. And that's how it like came up, but <laughs> totally insignificant. <laughs> Well, it is significant in that it's the first time it sounds like it came up for you to understand what this thing was that you were doing. Yeah. So when you were touching yourself, were you getting pleasure from that? Not not that I can remember. No, I do remember, um, again, like maybe elementary school, middle school, uh, we used to play like truth or dare um, with like my girlfriends at sleepovers yeah. and like a, one of the dares that always happened was to like masturbate. And so like we'd go in a closet and we'd like masturbate. Huh. Um, <laughs> or like, I remember one time we had to like flash outside, like the window, like roll up the window and like flash our little flat oh, chest wow. <laughs> <laughs> out the window. So like we did little perverted stuff like uh-huh. that. <laughs> So what was the conversation like in your home around sexuality? So I grew up, um, I would consider it a strict Islamic household. But I guess in relation to other Muslim households, we were very liberal. Um, My dad was considered a very liberal type of Muslim. Um, I mean, he married a white woman. (laughs) (laughs) But in regards to, like, sexuality, it was something that sex was a sin. You're not allowed to have a boyfriend. I don't remember sex ever being discussed. I do remember in high school, my mom, like, I don't know if she thought I was a lesbian or if she was just concerned that I never talked to her about boys. But she said, you you know it's okay to like boys, right? Uh And I took that as she thought that, like, me and my best friend were lesbian. <laughs> and so me and my best friend joked around about it. But now as an adult, I I believe that she just wanted me to talk to her more because I never told her, ooh, I have a crush on a boy. Mm-hmm. Like, that was never something I told my mom. Yeah. And my dad was just completely distant uh-huh. <laughs> from any type of socializing or uh-huh. He was a provider. Yeah. That was his role. So you mentioned before we started recording that you lived in Sudan for the first several years of your life. What kind of cultural differences were there between, do you remember, between those early years and coming to America? So everything is separated in men and women. Like men and women very rarely are 
together. And so I remember like going to stuff. I had to be separated from my brother and I was like, this isn't fair. Mm. Like I want to hang out with my brother, not with all these like women. So was there a difference between how he treated you and how he treated your brother when it came to dating and having friends of the opposite gender? He was allowed to like hang out with his girlfriends. I, when I was a sophomore in high school, um, a boy asked me out on a date to see a movie and I decided to tell my, my mom about it. And my mom was like, yeah, you can go, but I'm going to come with you. And I was like, what? Oh. <laughs> so she dropped me off at the guy's house. He drove a car. So he drove me and him to the movie theater. My mom followed um, in the car behind us and bought, bought a ticket to the same movie we, we went to <laughs> and then sat a few rows like away or whatever. But I was like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Would she have done that to your brother? No. no. <laughs> yeah. No. So how did you avoid that in the future? I just didn't tell her. I, I, it, it made me become sneaky. Uh-huh. <laughs> made me become sneaky. And actually I, um, a previous podcast, I don't remember the girl's name, but I I believe she was Muslim as well, someone you interviewed, and she talked about how growing up she was really sneaky yeah. and going to hang out with boys and stuff like that. And I was like, yes, girl, I <laughs> completely relate. Um, being super strict on your kids like that doesn't create like positive boundaries. It creates sneakiness. I didn't lose my virginity until I was 19 in college. The fact that I was a virgin in high school by choice, not because I, like, no boy wanted me or whatever, um, it gave me, like, a sense of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did come from my background and my parents and stuff like that. Um, but it was definitely something that I was proud of that I didn't have sex. Now I was, I was doing like oral sex and stuff like that, which in my young brain, I was like, Oh, I'm doing everything but sex. Like I'm not like being penetrated. So I'm okay. Yeah. And that's funny because, um, the, the other interview you were just commenting on, I think was Terry. Um, and I think she said the same thing that she did oral sex, because that was everything but sex. And I know that in some Christian kids, their version of that is that they'll do anal sex rather than vaginal sex, because it means they're still technically a virgin. It's so interesting, the mind games we play with ourselves. I know, I know. What happened next? What was your next sort of big marker in terms of sexuality? I lost my virginity to um, a senior. I was a freshman, and I really, really, really liked him. I remember, like, I would spend a lot of time, like, hanging out with him, making sure I was in the cafeteria when he was there, and doing little stuff like that. And Christmas break, I didn't go home, and neither did he, and campus was pretty quiet, And so we would hang out like every day. I'd go to his dorm, we'd watch movies, we'd make out. And he would always ask to like have sex. And I always said no. Why do you think you said no? 
Um, that pride thing, like I liked the fact that I was a virgin. Did you have a sense that you were waiting for something in particular in order to have sex? Ooh, good question. Yes. So my parents obviously wanted me to wait till marriage, but I wanted to wait for love. Like I wanted to wait to have sex when it meant something, um, not just because, because I've had so many girlfriends who have lost their virginity and like regretted it or, um, just been upset about it. And I didn't want that to be me. So you said no to him, to his request for sex. How did he respond to that? Arrogantly. He was very arrogant. Um, and he was like, okay, okay. You say no now. Oh, (laughs) yeah. He was very arrogant. And Actually, the day that I ended up, it was, it's, it's almost cinematic. Um, he texted me and he said, you're going to lose your virginity to me tonight. And I was like, ha ha ha, it's over text. I was like, ha ha ha, no, I'm not. And cause rewind a little bit, even though I was a virgin, I was very flirtatious. I liked getting attention from men guys, boys, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was young. Uh, um, not like men, yeah. but um, I liked getting attention. That's how I got like pleasure. I didn't need to have sex because I didn't, I wanted the pleasure of the attention, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so I was actively flirting back with him and like kissing him and giving him shirtless massages when I would go see him and all that kind of stuff. So in his mind, he's like, Oh God, this is so terrible that I'm talking this way. But in his mind, he's like, she wants me. (laughs) (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind that she wants me. And I did for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so I ended up having sex with him that night that he said tonight, you're going to, because it just flowed that way. Uh Like the, like when I was there, it just, happened. He didn't force himself on me. He didn't like anything like that. Um, just happened. And I remember I enjoyed it. I don't remember the feeling, but I definitely, well, I'm not going to say I definitely didn't orgasm because I don't remember. I just remember like the feeling of, damn, I just lost my virginity. I can't believe I've had sex. Like, Was that a shameful feeling for you? I don't remember. Yeah. It's just the way that you just language that, like, damn, I lost my virginity, as if you did something wrong. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Okay. Could have been a little bit of shame. I mean, he was, he was, he was very attractive, very sought after by other women, you know, so I guess I kind of felt like fine with it that it was him. After the event had happened, I remember trying to pursue him romantically and he did not want that. He was like, I'm really sorry if I gave you the impression that I wanted to be your boyfriend. Um, That's not what this was. If you don't want to be friends anymore, I understand all through text. Hmm. Um, I was like, damn, like I was really disappointed. But again, I don't necessarily feel like I was that hurt by it. My, my husband likes to joke that I'm a little bit cold hearted. Like when I, when I'm done with someone, I'm done with them. I don't, I don't mourn the loss of like relationships or friendships or like, like I just tend to move on from things and 
And he's like, are you sure you're okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) So maybe that's what's going on a little bit there. Mm -hmm. But, and from there, I was a little bit obsessed with him and he had this like this freshman who was like obsessed with him, like chasing him around and he loved it. And, but he said he was done with me and I don't remember the progression of it, but there was a party and he wanted me to come home with him. And I said, no, and he didn't like that. I said, no. And so I was ignoring him by dancing with, with some random guy who I ended up dating for a year and a half (laughs) after that (laughs) night. He was my first love, the guy after my, the guy I lost my virginity to. That guy ended up taking my friend home and trying to like make me jealous. But I was like, ha, no, I don't care. He sounds like a real peach. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So how did things develop with this person who turned out to be your first love? So he was stereotypically a bad boy. And I was a good girl. I know from the stories I'm telling you, it probably doesn't sound like I was a good girl, (laughs) but I was labeled as like a good girl and he was labeled as like a bad boy. He was a known drug dealer. He was always high. It was summertime. He went to California. I went back home and, and that was it. We went on like one date um, and we hung out like for maybe a couple weeks, but he had my phone number. And so he called me every day. And we talked on the phone every day that summer. And he asked me, he's like, I want to ask you to be my girlfriend because I would be very disappointed if you came back to school and you already had a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So, and the agreement that we had was you can do whatever you want during the summer, but when we come back to school in September, we'll be monogamous boyfriend, girlfriend. I and really like that. Like making an agreement like that is at, especially at that age, but frankly at any age is pretty damn unusual and really mature. Yeah, he actually taught me so much about sex. I get so many messages from listeners saying Thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls, and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And 
I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. My depression um, expressed itself in promiscuity. So the worse I felt about myself, the more sex I had. And I know that's not uncommon. Um, It was a seeking of of being desired. You know, um, I wanted to feel wanted and I thought that if men wanted to have sex with me, then I was getting that, that feeling of being desired. And it was definitely performative. I wasn't seeking relationships. I was seeking one night stands, um, because I didn't want to let anybody in. I still had a lot of walls up and I still didn't like who I was. So I was able to put on this facade of this like, um, sexual confident person, I guess maybe that I liked and I got attention from it and, um, that made me feel good. Um, but the Mm -hmm. sex part didn't, I remember I went through a phase where I would cry every time after I had sex, um, because I just hated myself. Um, Mm. and I hated that I was having sex, but I did it anyways. I worked in the like bar scene. I was a cocktail waitress and then I was a bartender and I ended up bartending at this hole in the wall bar where we like barely made 50 bucks in tips. And, um, the other bartender would stay after work. Like after we finished cleaning up, she would stay after and have a drink with the owner. And one day she invited me to stay. She's like, stay and just follow my lead. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, and so I stayed and he would ask us to take off our shirts and she, she would say, Oh, for how much? And so he would pay us to do sexual things for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then we'd make like $50 bartending, but then we'd end up leaving with like 200 because we would mm-hmm. stay after and entertain the owner. Yeah. I never, I never had sex with him. I don't know if she did. I did give him oral sex once and I like hated myself for it. Like I mm. was so just disgusted with myself for doing that. And, and everything else was just like, 
being topless, lap dances, touching him over his pants and like stuff like that. Um, and he was like old and creepy kind of. So I wasn't like <laughs> sexually attracted to him at all. And it was definitely just doing it for the money. And I guess maybe in a way it was exciting, but yeah, I remember crying a lot during that phase. I actually have a journal entry that I keep because it just reminds me of how I felt at that time. I, I, my self-esteem was so low that I remember writing that the only thing I have going for myself is my looks, my body, and my sexuality. Um, mm. The only thing I'll ever be is a bartender, a stripper, or a prostitute. Those are what I, I, I mean, I've never been a stripper, but I like, those are the things that I should pursue because that's what I'm good at. I'm not good mm. at anything else. I can use my body and my looks and the way that I talk to men to whatever. Um, and it wasn't an empowering kind of feeling. It was like, this is all I'll ever be in kind of like a negative yeah. way. I know that sex work is, 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 can be very empowering and, and positive for a lot of people. It can be, and it's mm. not for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I am a, a huge proponent of sex work for people for whom it is a choice. When people believe or or are in a situation where it is their only choice, and so they have no other options, then it's a real problem. And, and we, people deserve better than that. Um, but yeah, there are plenty of people for whom sex work is a choice, and it is a really empowering experience for them. I'm sorry that you had the other experience. Were you still a practicing Muslim through any of this? No, not at all. And was that in any way sort of weighing into any of your decisions? The old, I mean, we've already talked about how there was shame for you in that first sexual relationship. Was that continuing? I definitely had a lot of shame. Um, although, again, timeline, I'm not quite sure when I picked up this book, but I picked up a book um, called Sex Matters, um, by Osho. And I know he's a very controversial person. I'm sorry for bringing yes. it up, <laughs> but the book is phenomenal. Some of his work is great. It's just his, his actions were challenging. Yes. yes. Um, but I picked up the book, not knowing who Osho was. I only recently discovered his history, but the book kind of made me say fuck religion and um seeing sex as like more than just giving myself away because that's what religion teaches you about sex is women give away their virginity or their sexuality um and then it belongs to a man once i decided that religion wasn't for me the shame kind of fell away You've told me that you are mixed race, black and white. Um, you are a very light-skinned woman uh, in terms of your 
blackness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how one says yeah. that. <laughs> um, I've talked to other black women who have had real challenges with feeling fetishized um, by white men or having real difficulty in dating based on their skin color. And I'm curious about what your experience has been with that, if any. Um, no, I've actually never um, had sex with a white guy before. Um, mm-hmm. I had sex with an Italian guy, but he was like really Italian. Like, like... <laughs> <laughs> As I grew older, I realized that black men is where it's at. <laughs> um, like, I mean, I grew up in a, in a white suburb and that's why, like, I was too tall. I was too big. I like uh, white men would look at me and say, I'm fat. Black men are like, Ooh, she thick. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I don't feel I was fetishized by white people. I feel I was disregarded by white men. Um, but black men like loved my body or my size. And I assume that that is how your husband treats you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He, yeah, he loves my body. (laughs) What happens next? (sighs) I dated a Muslim boy. I, we thought that we were going to marry each other. That's kind of like how we talked to each other. We were both Muslim, but we were the same type of Muslim, meaning we weren't (laughs) practicing and we just, we were very Americanized culturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he had severe depression. I had severe depression and it just didn't, it just didn't work. And he ended up breaking up with me because he said that I'm too big for him. And he's five, six, I'm six foot. (laughs) So we were very, (laughs) we were a very awkward pair. We looked awkward together, but like, that's what I loved about us. I thought that he didn't care. And I, I love fucking with people's um, ideas of what's normal. (laughs) And the fact that we were together was, it just made people uncomfortable. And I love that. (laughs) And so part of me is like, did I really love him? Or I liked the idea of how different we were together. My husband was the first person that didn't hold me up on a pedestal. I was very caught off guard by how much he wanted to please me. Sex was always about the man. And it was something that was like performative, you know, Um, as long as he came, then that meant I did a, a good job or whatever. But with my husband, he, he wanted me to come first. And I was like, what? (laughs) Um, And it was, it was uncomfortable at first. And, and I didn't really explore my body like that. And so he would get frustrated sometimes when I wouldn't orgasm because he felt like, oh, well, am I doing something wrong? And then once it kind of came out that I don't even know what my body is, (laughs) like how my body's supposed to operate. Then we kind of worked on that, which was fun. <laughs> uh, we spent a lot of time and attention on on my pleasure, which was which was nice. 
And I mean, we still kind of, it's, it's funny because we talk about the, we love talking openly about sex. And I think that's a great part of our relationship is we do openly talk about what we like, what we don't like and, and what we want to try and what we've tried in the past, that kind of stuff. And so we have a relationship with two pleasers. So sometimes I'll want to please him and he'll be wanting to please me. And then we'll get frustrated with each other. And (laughs) (laughs) I want to invite you to imagine for a moment what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know, or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it, your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is. But I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability. And I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or if you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous, but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. So when you say you talk about things you've enjoyed in the past and things you want to do in the future, what are some of those things? Um, so we definitely want to um, have a threesome with a, with a woman. Um, it's not something we've done because I'm not in the space. So I've told them all my fun stories from my past and everything. But one thing that is different is I don't do drugs anymore. (laughs) And every crazy sexual experience I've had has been on drugs. And, um, and so that's something that has been, and I've, I'm, my body's a lot different now than it was back in my late teens, early twenties. 
And there's a little bit of insecurity there. And so we haven't done it yet, but it is something that we both want to do. Um, we just have to figure out how uh, we, we considered our first time doing it, um, um, hiring a sex worker. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I think that that would be really fun slash like safe, you know? Um, I don't know. It, it feels more comfortable doing it with someone who that's their job (laughs) as opposed to some random girl, like who doesn't know what she's doing either. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, it, it wouldn't be for everyone for sure, but I think that that's a really valuable um, option, because when you p- commodify that relationship, then you don't have to worry about, well, are people's feelings going to get involved? And what if we see them out in the club next time? And, and what if we like, what if we get uncomfortable, like all of that stuff yeah. kind of goes out the window, because you're paying this person for their time. And therefore, anything that happens within that space is okay. Yeah. But you also don't have to worry about lots of feelings becoming involved in it. Totally. Yeah, totally. One thing that um, we've struggled with that we have talked about, um, and that's been really interesting kind of diving into is, so we've been together for five years, married for like a year and a half, maybe almost two years. And sex was a lot easier when we were dating. And so we've tried to figure out why that is. And a lot of things came up as, as to why. And one thing that we both kind of agreed on is that in both of our pasts, sex was not associated with love. Hmm. Sex was, was like an act you do with like someone you don't care about. When you care about someone, when you love someone, it's different. And I associate sex with like, like dirty, like, like, I don't really love you. I just want to fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But when I love you, I do other things to express my love for you. And so we have a really great relationship. We both love each other. We both support each other. And sex is really challenging and awkward a little bit. And part of it, I think, has to do with, and we've talked about this, um, living together. When you live with someone, you don't get to prepare like when you don't live with someone. When I used to go visit him at his house, I would make sure I was showered, I was shaved, I smelled good, I looked pretty, my mental state was in the right place, you know. But when you live together, it's like, where is that time to prepare? You know, it's like you, you don't want to plan for sex because that's boring. But then if you want it to be spontaneous, it's, it's hard to make it spontaneous because then the other person's not ready or, oh, I haven't showered or, oh, the baby. And just like, there are a lot of things that are going against you when you're living together. (laughs) I don't necessarily think it was the marriage that slowed our, I mean, we, we still have great sex. Um, and when we do have sex, we're like, dang, like we need to do this more often. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but 
um, the frequency isn't as much as it was when we were dating. And so that's something that we're trying to work around, especially with a kid now. It just makes it so much harder. And you hear all the time married couples talking about how challenging married sex is or sex with kids. Not sex with kids, but when you have sex. (laughs) (laughs) When you have sex and you have kids. Yeah. And there's also a phenomenon called new relationship energy, where when you're first in a relationship with somebody, you've like got all those good yummy chemicals running through your body. It's specifically the time for bonding. And that makes sex feel extra exciting and extra good. And then you settle into a relationship with them. And those chemicals aren't running in the same way. And that is a challenge for a lot of people. I hear a lot of people come to me saying, is there something wrong with our relationship? Like sex used to be so exciting and so great. And now it's just not as easy. No, there's nothing wrong with your relationship. This is the normal pattern. And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. What belief did you have about sex as a child or a young woman that you wish you could correct her on now? It's a tough one. Um, I don't know if I can answer that. Like, I don't know if I can answer that genuinely. Mm. I can come up with an answer for you. Um, But I don't know if it would be genuine. I'm trying to think of what I would say to my daughter. Mm, yeah. Um, um, and I just don't know. Like the first thing that popped into my head was don't be ashamed. But I'm not saying that shame is, is a good thing, <laughs> but I don't, I, I, I also don't, oh God, this is going to be very problematic me saying this, but I definitely don't want her to like feel so liberated that she's just like, like having sex and, and like throwing her whatever, every which way. Um, cause that's not like, like, I feel like I did that and but I did it from a very negative space. That's what I'm hearing. Like when you talked about it, it sounded like it came from a space of depression and having a hole that you were trying to fill. And so that's very different than not wanting her to be sexually liberated. That's not wanting her to use sex to fill other needs in her life. Yeah. So I guess maybe that's what I would say Mm. is don't use sex as a coping mechanism for emotion, for difficult emotions. Maya, thank you so much. This conversation has been so much fun and I'm really grateful to you for just being so open. Thank you for being with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. 
And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>